right, again, thank you all so much uh, for being here, and, uh, and happy Easter. This is uh, a day, I love it, because we're literally with millions of people all over the world. We are coming together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and it really is the most, obviously you couldn't have the resurrection without the birth, so the birth is pretty important too, but as it relates to our theology of, of Christianity and what we believe uh, in our faith, this day represents uh, this the most important part of who we are, the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead. And I love even the imagery that Laura created today, that we had Good Friday, Good Friday, the, this moment of Jesus' crucifixion, but it really did act like a seed, this beginning moment, right, that would pr- produce a, a life-giving tree. Psalms talks about that, 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 that God is like a tree that is always producing fruit by a living river, like living waters, right? And so as we come today, that's this idea that Jesus now is, quote-unquote, this giving tree, this tree of life for us, this tree of life that produces life, gives life, is life in and of itself. And so as we come today recognizing this isn't just something about history, but it's something that's relevant, it's powerful, and it's real today. And when I think about Easter, then it honestly produces today a level of hope, this hope, but also a level of fear. The hope for me would be this, that you would be able to grab hold of fully what the resurrection is all about and what it means for your life, right? The what it is and and the why it's important, which then creates a level of fear for me. The fear is that you can come into and experience all of this this morning, maybe having a good experience and maybe even enjoy yourself, but really miss the heart and the meaning and the actual reality of what the resurrection can mean in your life. And that leads me to a first Very important question that you all need to have an answer for, and it's simply this. Are you an Atlanta Braves fan? That's where we start this morning. I see that right there. That shirt may represent. Let's go, right? No, man, you're a Braves fan. Like, I'm a lifer as a Braves fan. Look, literally, I remember back in the day, this kind of shows my age, but my team, man, my team was like Dale Murphy, Bob Horner, Chris Chambliss, somebody like, yeah, Glenn Hubbard, right, Al Harboski, Phil Negro, Lynn May, I mean, all these guys back in the day, right? Like, I remember literally sitting there and going somewhere, and my dad brought me to a place, they were signing autographs, and I'm like starstruck, right, just sitting there in the moment, right? And we were terrible. You remember those days? How do you remember the Braves being? bad, right? You remember those days? Yeah, if you would come into the stadium, Fulton County Stadium, people would have like brown bags over their faces because they were embarrassed with like holes right here. It was just an embarrassing moment to be an Atlanta Braves fan, making your way all the way up though. When I was in high school, 91, 92, we all of a sudden got good. Like I can tell you, the very first time since like the 80s that the Braves, 1991, when the Braves got into first place, sole possession of first place, I was at the game. Charlie Liebrandt was pitching. Remember him? Lefty, right? He was pitching. I'm sitting with my dad and a buddy and his dad. And all of a sudden, because I'm on the screen, sole possession of first place. It's like years of utility just broke off. We hadn't won anything yet, but we were in first place in the whole stadium, all 15 of us. I'm just kidding. We know we all erupted. We erupted in the moment, right? 
being a Braves fan. And so this past Thursday night, Randall and I and Sarah and Anna Catherine for Sarah's 19th birthday, we got tickets to the Braves game, even got a parking pass, third base side, right? It was an incredible game. We get The weather was actually great for that game. They had a flyover, two F-22 fighters, two F-35 flop, you know, fighters flew over and shook the whole stadium. We teared up a little bit, didn't we? We literally, cause like, I think I just teared up, right? Like the national anthem, they had one of those like flags unfurled that's literally larger than the entire outfield. We're just having a great time. There's lots of neat people around us. We're just watching the game. Had some great innings. If you remember Thursday night, man, it was like awesome. The ninth inning. Orlando Arce gets up to bat. Eddie Rosario's on second base. Orlando pushes it. He puts his hand like this in the air and runs to first base. Eddie comes around, scores the game-winning run, the very first home opener, 2023, right? It is the walk-off hit for a win, right? And it was beautiful. We got to be at the game. It was amazing. But here's the problem. We left early. It ain't my fault. I'm just saying. Sarah's turned 19, Sarah's birthday girl. Sarah gets a dictate schedule tonight. She's like, hey, guys, like a six. Hey, guys, I don't know if y'all want to stay. Like, I'm, I'm good to leave early. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a great idea. Whatever you want to do, babe, it's totally your day. I'm literally on the way home. They're listening to music, and I'm popping up ESPN.com, and I literally watch as the literally, it's like one of those, like, gameplay game things. You're like, you can see the little, like, little things on little the blue dots on the screen all of a sudden you see him turn around and score Braves win and I'm like that was great guys the Braves just won it was just brutal right I make amazing and here's the point now think about Easter like we went through the entire game we had an incredible moment we experienced it. it was beautiful it was fun it was a lot of fun we laughed right we like we just had a great time we cheered but we actually missed the win we missed what everything was about. We missed actually what the night was defined by. We missed the walk-off hit. We didn't get to celebrate. We didn't get to cheer with everybody. We didn't get to, like, hug with your best friend you've never met before behind you. We missed it. And when I think about Easter this morning, and I think about its history, and I think about its relevance, and I think about what it means for us, and I think about how many Easter's that you've probably celebrated in your life, my hope is that, man, you've grabbed hold of the power and the beauty and the majesty of resurrection. But my fear is, is that sometimes you leave in the seventh or eighth inning. And I don't mean that like you've done something wrong and you're bad. I mean, I'm just sad that you've missed, like I missed the game winning hit, that you missed it. And my hope this morning and my prayer is this simple. God, please don't let any of us miss the power and the glory and the beauty of resurrection, not just the what it is, but God, the power of the why it happened and why it's relevant today and why it still has the same power today that it had yesterday. I will say in upcoming weeks, we're going to be shifting our gears a little bit and talking about, this is how I'm phrasing it in my head, hope this makes sense to you, Kingdom power for Jesus, for those who don't know him. And we're going to go after the kingdom power and what that means and the move of God. When Jesus says, hey, the thing, he said this, so it's a promise. He says, the things that I did, 
you also can do but even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and he's sending us his spirit. What does it mean for kingdom power to be released? We live in a world that loves power, but our power spiritually is not. It's for Jesus to honor him and to glorify him and to love him and then using it for those whom he loves who are in need, who are in need of breakthrough, who need of salvation. And so we're going to go into a series for several weeks. I don't know how long it's going to last. We'll just see how long, right? Where we want to talk about the power of God. But here's the thing. Listen, we want to experience the power of God. I don't want to just talk about the resurrection. I want to experience beauty, its majesty, its power. And so we're going to focus on that. If you want to come in upcoming weeks, that's your selling point to come and be a part of that. Now, with that in mind this morning, I want to start with the what of Easter. I was reading an article this week and said, anybody who's ever been a part of church, never gone ever to Easter, probably knows the what of what Easter is all about. What happened that was so important? So the most succinct expression and, and telling of the Easter story actually is not in the Gospels, although all four of them have beautiful expressions of the story of the resurrection. I encourage you to read them, but the most succinct telling of it actually is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and the, the clearest expression of what happens is this. He says it in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, just going to verse 7, he says this, Paul speaking to those in Corinth, those whom he lets now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you. So he's reminding them what he's already shared with them, what he's already preached. He said, this is what you received, which is what you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. Press pause. So what Paul is basically saying, listen, guys, I want to remind you of the message that I received from the apostles, right, from Jesus. And in that gospel, I want to then, it's the same gospel I shared with you. So I received and then I shared with you in that gospel, that good news is what brought salvation and what's still bringing salvation today. I don't just need Jesus yesterday. I need Jesus today and every subsequent day afterwards, right? I need him every day. That's what he's saying. This need of Jesus, he's good news for us every day. We pick up the message that he preached, the gospel. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. Why? Because he was dead, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep or have passed away or died. And then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. Just this very simply expressed is the story of what happened, right? The what of the resurrection. And what Paul says is the what of the resurrection, the story of Jesus, it is the gospel. It is good news. Paul described it in verse 3 and 4. The good news, Christ died for our sins, came and lived his life, perfect life, and he died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised back to life on the third day. This is the message of Easter. It is good news for all the peoples of earth because Jesus' death was about dying in our place, taking our guilt upon himself, making a way for salvation from sin and death from those who believe, right? Here's the point. Every single human being has sinned. 
Scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Basically, we've all disobeyed. We've all walked in disobedience. We've all made taken steps of sin and of disobedience in our life that has separated from us from a holy God. And we are guilty in that. And our guilt leads to death and separation from God, but God was not okay with that. It's not okay with that. So he says, listen, someone has to die for the guilt of your sin. I'll send my son, and he will take your guilt off of you, own it himself, and he will die in your place. And then every single person from that point forward, namely us, who will believe in that, believe in Jesus, surrender their lives to him, give themselves wholeheartedly to him, his leadership and lordship in life, then, quote, unquote, they will be saved. They will be saved from eternal separation from God, and they will live with him for eternity. Yay. That, my friends, is the good news. That is the gospel. That is what Paul is preaching. He says, this is the gospel, the good news that I preach. You were separated from God. He loved you and made a way for you to live with him for eternity. That should be exciting for us. That, my friends, is the what of the gospel. It is the what of the resurrection Jesus came back to life and from the dead to show that he had eternal life available. That leads us into the resurrection. So the what has the death? The what has the resurrection? The resurrection speaks to Jesus being the victorious one. Jesus being the winner. Jesus came back to life from the dead to be, quote-unquote, the first fruits. So if he was raised back to life, then we would be raised back to life and spend eternity with him. He won. He was victorious. He was victorious specifically over the power of sin. He was victorious, look up here, victorious over death. This is the what. And all of this constitutes the what of the resurrection, a picture of the good news of Jesus. And that good news throws open wide the door for eternal life for all who believe. And the what is vital for us to know and understand. But listen, that just leads us to the end of the seventh inning. Like the what is powerful. The what is important. It's vital. It's necessary. It is the power of God into salvation. But the other part we have to dive into, the last two innings, is the why. Why? Why does it matter? Why is it important? How does it change us? How does it change the world? Why is it important to us as a people? But let's just be, because we, we love to think about ourselves every now and then. Why is it important to me? Why is it important to you? The why leads us to the completion, this kind of bigger full picture of the resurrection and the moment of what we're here for. We won't exhaust the why. There's no why, no way that you can. But I'm going to name just four answers to the why this morning, the why of the resurrection. Number one, the why of the resurrection. The resurrection is needed to give Christianity legitimacy. To give it legitimacy, to give the message of Jesus legitimacy, to to take the church itself and give it legitimacy and the message and the 
this movement of God. Look at Paul's words a little further down in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians on the screen. Verse 13, he says this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, just talking about in general, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. It's futile. The reality is this, and hear this, a dead Jesus is no different than any other dead religious zealot. Lots of people can die for somebody. Only one has been raised to new life. And resurrection then makes Christianity different than every other religion. Resurrection makes the claims of Jesus different than anybody else who made claims. Lots of because they lots of things, but then all of a sudden on the third day, like he promised he would multiple times, like Scripture told us back in the Old Testament with the prophets, he was raised to life, and then all of a sudden that means something is legitimate about him that's different than anybody else. It legitimizes Jesus, it legitimizes his message, it legitimizes Christianity as a whole. The resurrection sets him apart, makes, highlights his undeniable uniqueness, and validates his entire message. The resurrection legitimizes everything that he said about himself, and it legitimizes the movement he started. So it's great that you know the what, but when you begin to get to the why, well, it legitimizes his entire message in Christianity as a whole, then I had to sit back and go, all right, two, the resurrection then demands a response. The resurrection demands a response. You have to look at Jesus. You have to consider Jesus because his resurrection is undeniable and demands that you do something with him. The only ones who can deny the resurrection of Jesus are those who've never studied it or looked into it, honestly. I could spend forever, did a message three years ago about the resurrection, go listen to it. I'm not going to preach the whole message all over again today, right? If you want me to send it to you, I will, or you can just read The Reason for God by Tim Keller. He does a great job arguing it himself. It's super great. It's like chapter 10, and it's super short. You would love it, right? It's undeniable. And because it's undeniable, it demands you say, well, I need to at least look at Jesus and give him a chance. I at least have to be honest about it. There's something about him. I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis. You've probably all heard it before. You've heard it before. You love it. If you never have, you will enjoy it. He says this in his book, A Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people, people often say about him, that is Jesus, that is the Christ. They say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the crazy sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
but let not us come up with any patronizing nonsense that his being a great human teacher, he's a great human teacher, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Listen, there are lots of people in our world who don't like Christians. And I get it. There are lots of hypocrites out there in the world. There are lots of mean people who claim to be Christians who never express the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm just not sure they're Christians. Because when Jesus is with people, they express the fruit that defines his life, right? But when you get around legitimate Christ followers who walk in the fruit of God's Spirit of love and of joy and of peace and of patience and of kindness and of goodness, and they're filled with joy and faithfulness and self-control, you know there's something different about them and you're magnetized to them. And that's just the good ones. Think about Jesus himself. Think about Jesus himself, the worst of all sinners, the people who were hated and the life were so drawn to Jesus, they were just wanted to be around him. Because there was something about this Jesus, right? His perfect life, his humble and loving death for us, his powerful resurrection to conquer death. It demands we at least look at and truly consider him as God and Lord. We have to look at him and say, here's the deal. I'm okay. Here's the deal. I met with somebody in the last several weeks. He's like, I just don't like pastors very much. I'm like, me neither, man. (laughs) I've been doing it for 25 years. I don't like most of my friends, right, who are pastors. I don't like a lot of church world. I don't like the bureaucracy. I don't like the politics of church. I don't like the infighting that happens. I don't like the competition it just gets on my everlasting nerve. Makes me want to run away from my job sometimes and say, let me just love on people. So I get it if you don't like church. I get it if you like Christianity. I get it if you watch a lot of people on TV who claim Jesus. And I'm, like, eh, I'm not sure Jesus claims them. Oh my gosh. Can I say that in public? But I would say about Jesus, let's not patronize him. Let's not patronize him by saying, I I don't believe, I don't believe what you said about yourself, Jesus. I don't believe in the things people say that you did. I don't believe you were God, but I do believe you were a good and ethical human being that I can learn from. Have you ever read what he said? He said at one point, I and the Father are one. And the people around him knew he meant that he was claiming to be equal with God and they picked up stones to throw at him and kill him because it was blasphemy. If someone walked into church today, stood up on this pulpit with the microphone in hand said, hey guys, and a great message says, and I need you to know that my name is Jesus the Christ and I am the Son of God, what would you do? You wouldn't listen. He'd be crazy. That's what's happening here. You can't say he's a good moral teacher if he said he was God because I either make him crazy or make him right. The resurrection shows us God's desire to be one with us in relationship. The resurrection shows us God's desire to be one with us in relationship. Listen, 
each of us long, and I want you all to hear this. Ready? Take a deep breath. And then exhale. It's 10.55. Give me 10 more minutes. The resurrection shows us God's desire to be one of us. Each of us, listen, each of us longs, and this is a personal level, you all long, we all long for a relationship where we are known and where we are understood, Right? We all want to be in a relationship where we are known and we are understood and we are accepted for it. Each of us, either currently or at least in some season of life, have lived under the weight of rejection from someone or something. Something that we wanted to have love and prefer us that did not. Rejection is a shared reality for every human being at some stage and some point of life. Some of you were in it, some of you are in it, and some of you will be in it. But in the story of Jesus and death and his resurrection, a common theme is found in both Mark and Luke. And I want to read it to you, and I want you to see how it speaks to God's heart of love and desire of acceptance for us. It says this, I'm going to Pack this just briefly. It says, but Jesus let out, this is on the cross, Jesus let out a loud cry and died. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. See, what I want you to recognize, in the, in the temple, the veil, which was like this thick and super heavy and super tall, it literally was a symbolic image, a symbolic image of the separation between God and humanity. He was holy. He was so other than, consider like flying near the sun. Like you know, if you get near, ending is near the sun, what happens? It melts away and just is destroyed. That's what they felt about the glory of God. He was like the sun, and if you saw and got near, you couldn't handle it, and you would just die. And so it was there to protect. But I love in this moment, in the story, the good news, part of the gospel of Jesus. Remember, he lived a perfect life. He then died for our sins and then raised to new life. When he died between that moment of death and that moment of resurrection, it says the the veil, this symbolic image of separation from top to bottom like this is ripped in two. Real quick, who do you think had the ability to initiate a ripping from top to bottom? God. God, y'all are brilliant. I love this. Both writers are intentional to share this piece of the veil being torn, expressing what the heart of God to say, I am done with separation. I want to be one with you. I want you to be near to me. I'm not going to call you servants any longer. I can't wait to call you friends. And if you just simply believe, then all the walls will come down and we can be one together in intimate relationship of powerful love that will be like the sun melting away all of this junk in your life and all of your fears and worries and all of these things that define you by death. And I want to give you life and not just in this moment, but for eternity, that lasts a long time. It's forever with Jesus. Listen, I want to say something. My girls are home. They're both in college. People ask, what's going on? How are you? And I just say my girls are home. I love it. 
whether they're in their room doing their own thing, just to know they're in the house. Went to the game the other night. I was so pumped. I was so excited. We're going down to the beach in a few weeks, and I cannot wait just to hang out the four of us. I love it. And I think about how excited I get. And when we're together and we're laughing and we're cutting up, and I'm like, I love to be in relationship with them. I love to, to be here. And I look at it and go, it's just a taste of the glory and majesty of how God feels in relationship with me. He wants to be one. He tore the temple veil. Why the resurrection? Because of his desire to be one with you and love you because it excites him. Excites him. John 3.16, it may be overquoted, it's never overstated. God so loved, I'm on the screen, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, everything in it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him, gospel, right? Death, just life, death, resurrection. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but live for eternity with him. I think there are lots of whys of the resurrection. It's my personal opinion. You can have your own. But the number one why is because he just loves you and does not want to be separated from you. And he wants to be one with you. And he wants to know you and wants you to know him. I think that's my personal conviction. Number one why, the resurrection. He does not reject. He's made every way available to you to know him walk with him as one confession says in the church and to enjoy him forever the fourth why the resurrection is the resurrection shows us we have nothing to fear in death we have nothing to fear in death i love the language of paul towards the end of chapter 15 of first corinthians when he talks about what the resurrection means in verse 54 55 <clears throat> He says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. So whenever we die, right, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death, oh, don't worry, it's swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? If the good news of Christianity is anything, it is this. That death has no hidden terror, it has no mystery, and is not something we must fear. As Walter Sizek put it, the peace of Easter, the peace of Easter is the peace that comes from knowing that the thing men had feared most, the end of life, annihilation, and death, it really just holds no fear at all. I don't know if you ever sit back at night laying in bed and think about your purpose in life. Think about your meaning. I don't know if you ever sit back and wonder what happens after you die. Is this really all that there is? The resurrection tells us because Jesus said it and we don't think he's a lunatic. We just think he's a Lord. He said, hey, so good. When death happens, this is the thing. It's going to get swallowed up in the victory of eternal life for me. And everything that was difficult here, life is going to be good up here. It's going to be good and it's going to be right. It's going to be holy. It's going to be perfect. You're not just living for this. You're primarily living for this. 
this lasts a lot longer. This is temporary. Why is there death in our world? Very simple. There's death because if we did not die, then we would have to live in brokenness for eternity. Or we die, enter into perfection, and no longer have pain, suffering, or hurt ever again. Death was a gift. The what of the resurrection is powerful. Powerful. It's like eight innings of beauty, right? Eight innings of home runs being hit. The good news of Jesus' perfect life. His death on the cross for our sin, right? This, the resurrection to show his victory over sin and death. But it leads to the why for us, right? The why in the moment, the resurrection, it legitimizes Jesus. It legitimizes his words. It legitimizes the movement of God, the church. Everything he said about himself, right? The resurrection, it demands that we consider him as either a Lord or a lunatic. And we believe that he is Lord. It leads to the heart of Jesus' love for us. It's palpable. It's felt and it's huge. And it leads us to his desire to be one with us. And the resurrection shows that death does not have to be feared. We're going to take a time of vintage on Sunday mornings. We have to take a time of ministry at the end where we invite our worship team to come back. And, and in this time, it's a time of reflection. It's a time where we have teams on the side to pray for people. We recognize, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go through life, hardships happen. Right? Difficulty happens. Heavy things happen. And sometimes I feel a need to carry those things all by myself. And that does not usually ever go well. And so I get people around me, friends, loved ones, right, to come alongside and to walk with me and to pray for me. We believe there's power in prayer, right? And so we have ministry teams, and they're just literally people just like you who have suffered just like you, who understand the life that you're living just like you're living. And they said, can we just love on you and pray? for you for the thing that you're carrying so you don't have to carry it by yourself. So this morning, as we come into this time of worship and song, we'll have ministry teams on both sides. Ministry teams, why don't you go ahead and come forward while I'm talking about you so they can see your lovely face. Look at that. My gosh, you're so good looking. And so you would love to pray for you. If you want to come to the altar this morning and and just pray, if you want to jump in the baptismal, I would not recommend that at least. But if you want to come forward and take communion this morning, man, communion is a celebration of the gospel, the what, and leads us to the why. It reminds us of both, but as we take communion, it's as if it comes alive again. And the truth of his life and the truth of his death for you and the truth of his resurrection as we take communion comes alive as we take of the bread, the body broken, and drink of the juice, his blood poured out for you. And so we're gonna we'll probably sing for so I've like we'll try we'll try to come back here like number eleven fifteen, just for those of you here wondering about time and how to get to your Easter lunch and stuff. Come get eleven fifteen and I'll release you if you need to go and probably stay for a little bit longer and just pray and and worship after that. Um, but if we can give you nine more minutes. I would simply ask this this morning. Again, take a deep breath. You can release it. It's important. Would you just connect with the message and say, God, would you awaken the why in me? Just awaken the why. Have conversations about his legitimacy. If you come this morning and, and you say, Steve, I, if I'm honest, I, I don't know Jesus. 
I've never really said yes to him. I've never followed him. I believe the gospel, but I've never really given my life to it. And this morning, you feel the weight of that draw, the weight to give your life to him, to follow him, to say yes to him as Lord. And our, one of our teams would love to introduce you to Jesus. They are his best. He is their best friend. And they would love to introduce their best friend to you and lead you into knowing him. If these teams get full, you see already one is, then other teams are going to come forward. And you can just come to one of those. So if that's you and you're one of our ministry teams, just be prepared to quickly come when somebody gets full. And uh, let's let God do his thing this morning. So, Jesus, have your way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Come as the Lord leads.